who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! This episode of Podcast Unlocked is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash unlocked for your free audiobook download. Oh, yes. Podcast Unlocked. We're back. What's up, guys? I'm really chipper this morning. Wow. You I are. Know, this is the <laughs> earliest we've ever recorded, yeah, it I is. think. It's yeah. uh, 10, 19 a.m., which is basically dawn by yeah. IGN standards. <laughs> I'm Ryan McCaffrey from IGN Xbox, joined as always by Mitch Dyer. What up? Destin Legary. Hey. Hi. Uh, joining us later in the show, I'm very, very excited. Um, I have a feeling, uh, a, an intuition, if you will. Mm-hmm. That my interview with Ron Gilbert's going to go really, really well. All right. Okay. Maybe it's because I already recorded it. Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of editing. Yeah, no, Ron Gilbert came by, um, and we had a really long, epic conversation. He was, uh, I hope you guys like it. I had, I mean, it was sort of a childhood dream of mine. I know he might feel a little weird about about hearing that, but I mean, I, you know, I played, I told him, though, too, after, after we got done recording, I was like, man, I played... Monkey Island 1 with my best friend. We played it together when we were like 12 and played all your games since. And um, For those who don't know, what what's his roster? His roster? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a morning, Evan. Uh, well, he, uh, <laughs> yeah. Ron Gilbert was, of course, uh, uh, one of the, the main guys, uh, one, of the, one of the legends from the LucasArts point-and-click adventure days back in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. So Ron Gilbert, Maniac Mansion, which is a classic adventure game. That's uh-huh. Ron Gilbert's game. Yep. And, and, of course, the big one, Monkey Island. Uh, Monkey Island 1 and 2 are the Ron Gilbert games. And um, Of course, he famously, he left LucasArts after that. They made, actually, two more Monkey Islands without him. Um, and then he made... Tentacle, right? That was after him? They, he was, I think he was still sort of around for the... But that, that, okay. That was Tim Schafer's game. Yeah. yeah. Then, they, then he made Legend of Zelda. Right, <laughs> correct. <laughs> if 
No. <laughs> no. Forget it. It's not how it went down. But no, he kind of... Uh, then he kind of went away from hardcore games for a while and did some did kids games of all things and but eventually came back and if you've played death spank that was ron gilbert yep. and then now this week his game which that's what he's here to promote this week that's what we're talking about um is the cave his new adventure game which i reviewed you can read my review on ign was death right spank now. violent kind of well, well it, was, it was it was totally comic yeah it was cartoonish and so, you'd, you'd bash chickens and unicorns yeah. oh okay yeah, I was like going from kids' games to murdering things from kids' games. No, he's, he's, <laughs> that's not how Ron works. Yeah, that <laughs> no, was, it, I know. It was like Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> mentality. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Stay tuned for the Ron Gilbert interview. Uh, that I hope you like it, and, and, and I'm warning you in advance. It is an hour and fifteen it's minutes meaty. long. So uh, you'll you'll probably either really like that or be like, oh my god, and just maybe want to fast forward through the whole thing. But that's the beauty of a podcast. You can just fast forward however you want if you don't want to hear something. It's almost like you have the choice. <laughs> yeah, it's almost as if we empower you yeah. through the power of your your playback device. But um, Spartan Ops is back. Halo 4. I haven't played it yet. You should. I'm going to this weekend. Good. You can watch Mitch and I's commentary video mm-hmm. that's on the site now. I watched the one you guys did at 343. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. The little... Uh, teaser the sort of yeah. preview video and, and uh, i'm excited so yeah mitch and i had a had a much better time with it so check out our commentary video and you certainly play it for yourself and we'll be so every tuesday those commentary videos are going to be going up we'll be playing the game recording on monday mm-hmm. and then the videos will go up so on tuesdays so guys i actually did something kind of cool um i had to play episode five and i knew i only had a few days so on twitter i just said does anybody want to play with me yeah and uh, some community members from Podcast Unlock actually said, yeah, we'll totally play with you. So we all played together, and we Sweet. got through Spartan Ops on Legendary. Right on. That's awesome. So, yeah. So if you guys want to do that, uh, I'll probably be tweeting out at Destin Legary uh, on my Twitter because I don't like to play these alone and sad. Well, they're not meant to. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. genuinely not meant to be played solo. Especially so. the yeah. new ones. Episode 6 is extremely yeah. difficult. Mitch and I went through uh, just the two of us, which we'd been doing for the first half of the season, and it was... Uh, mm-hmm. It was a noticeable step up. It's a, it's a whole new world out there. I did episode one solo, and I was like, nope. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Not again. Don't do that. All right, so a uh, few things to get to before we talk to Ron in the news this week. The big one, of course, being the the big fallout we've been waiting for of of the, the unfortunate death and demise of THQ, mm-hmm. and the auction was held yeah. for its studios and properties. So let's let's dive into that right after this. IGN's Xbox 360 Podcast, the Podcast Unlocked, presents the News Unlocked! Alright, so, before we get to THQ, one there's one other very interesting story this week, I thought. It's it's up on the site uh, today, or, uh, or mm-hmm. po- probably yesterday, or or before, by the time you hear this yeah, podcast. it depends when you're listening. Yeah, it depends, but, uh, so Splinter Cell Blacklist is, of course, we it got delayed till August 20th. Mm-hmm. Which you know we talked at length about last week, but what's interesting this week is they're doing a collector's edition. Mm-hmm. No. Sounds sounds innocent enough, right? Like who doesn't do a collector's edition these days? Yeah. But Mitch, yes, sir. What's in it? So you know you get your usual stuff with your pre-order bonuses and your special editions. But in the special edition, maybe you want the Splinter Cell prequel comic. You want to know what happens to Sam Fisher after conviction before Blacklist. Like good, good. Yeah, I'm into right that. Yeah. Eighty-eight page comic book. The art's a little weird. Books still might be okay. Mm-hmm. You get your co-op maps. You get your oh, upper echelon good. pack, which has another co-op pack. Cool. Um, you get some in-game items. 
Um, you get a remote-controlled airplane that flies. A what? Wait. A remote-controlled <laughs> airplane that flies. <laughs> so off the air two seconds ago, I hadn't seen this yet, and I'm like, oh, it's probably going to be a stupid plastic plane. And I look, I'm like, wait, you guys, does this thing fly? <laughs> it flies. It yeah. flies. It's like, I mean, the, was it Call of Duty that had the drone? Yeah, yeah, it had the RC car. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then Black Ops 2, I think, had the drone that flew, and it was like, oh, that's cool. This is a plane. It doesn't have rotors. It can't lift yeah. itself. Like, this is going to require physics and lift. And, like, you're going to have to go. You're going to need to find a little runway. You know what You know what else it's going to require? $170. <laughs> <laughs> what... Remember when special editions used to be like, oh, it's $70 more. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Splinter Cell started that. No, Halo 2 started that. Oh, get a that... tin box for $10. With Are a, you with sure a ma- that was the first one? Of... Well, not like ever, but that sort of popularized the trend, I yeah. feel, is... Halo 2, the Halo 2 Collector's Edition had, yeah, it was the tin case, mm-hmm. and it had a second disc with a making-of DVD, which was actually a really good making-of DVD. Yeah. For five bucks more, it was $55, regular version was 50 and then it just, the whole thing Escalated. went to hell after yeah. that, yeah. It worked for Halo, everybody <laughs> did it. I remember, uh... You're talking about escalation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I remember, uh, the first... Like collector sort edition I got was actually Rainbow Six Three, and it came with a headset, and I didn't have one yet. So oh I, yeah, I, that's right. That's, yeah. a, that's an essential. Thing. Well, that well that yeah. was uh, that game was awesome. That was pre Halo Two. Yeah. So there you go. So this thing also comes with like part of the the upper echelon pack, which has a co op map. Yeah. Um, you get gold sonar goggles. I didn't know you could Ooh. change your go- you Who change cares? Your colors. You could be different than green. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's, it's crazy. a palette swap. It is, but Sam Fisher, gold, what's this all about? What else My can you change in rocked. the game? I like gold. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a legit plane, I mean, and I want, I want one. I like the co-op maps. And you the want plane, one? The plane sounds yes. awesome, but I, yeah, I can't do 100 Oh, there's no way I'm buying $170, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's pretty much three games. Yeah. yeah. Three regular price games. This is. Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about this, um, I think, last week. When we were like, oh, Splinter Cell is delayed to August 20th. That's a weird time. Next-gen consoles will yeah. be coming. It's very close to the holidays. And now it's like, well, here's a version of that that costs three times as much. Like, it, <laughs> If you thought Splinter Cell Blacklist was in a weird spot, how about that special edition? Yeah. If you were saving up for uh, the Xbox 720 and or PS4, how about blowing half of that savings yeah. on, <laughs> right. on a Splinter Cell Collector's Edition? Yeah, Does sorry your Xbox guys, come with a remote control plane? I will say, though, so. you can pretty much bank on, um, come close to August 20th, maybe like a week before if we're lucky, tune into IGN, we're gonna, we're gonna do an unboxing and we're gonna fly oh. the plane around the office. We need to see if like, we can fly this thing off the roof. and if Oh, it, yeah! Down into traffic and murder a pedestrian and yes. go to jail. Let's try and cause an accident. Yeah, our goal will be to cause a car accident. Flight in traffic. (laughs) This thing's gonna. We're going to jail (laughs) for sure. Weirder things happen in San Francisco traffic than an RC plane flying through. That's true. Uh, All right. So the big news of the week: THQ the the auction is complete, and uh, I have to first start off by before everyone else tells me says I told you so. Yeah. Uh, I so I got. Zero. I went completely over on my predictions. Mm-hmm. And I did my story when, when THQ's bankruptcy filing happened. I said, okay, looking at this from somebody that's been around the games industry for a while, I'm thinking there's Activision's got to buy Volition and Saints Row. It just yeah. makes all the sense in the world. 
Activision didn't bid on anything. They weren't there. Neither did EA. Crazy. Uh, Swing and a miss. Yeah, who I thought might go after uh, the strategy game. Company Heroes, Dawn of War. And WWE. Yeah. Uh, And just shut them down. Or like rebrand them so that well, they make probably the rebrand them into Bioware or something. Yeah, <laughs> Bioware, Bioware wrestling yeah. RPG. Bioware wrestling RPG. <laughs> so yeah, neither cap, neither uh, Activision or nor EA even showed up and made a bid. Yeah, I so, mean to be fair. So who? Okay, who do you guys think? May who who out there then? If not Activision or EA, who's buying Volition and Saints Row? Take two. Nope. I mean, I know, I know this. It's Cox Media. Well, play along, oh. man. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the, the point of the bit. Guess. Stab in the dark. Cox Media? The point of the bit was <laughs> to just name every publisher, and then nobody <laughs> yeah. names him. Then we finally go, Cox Media, and you guys go, what? Who? Huh? So yeah, well, to be Koch way to play along, Media. Jeez, I thought I it was the bit. Take two, so... <laughs> like, so for those what who it, don't know who Koch Media is, it's a European publisher that is basically the equivalent Deep of Silver. Deep Silver. Yeah, who, Deep Silver publishing Dead Island Riptide. More yes. torsos, yes. Yeah. Uh, so good job, by the way, on that, guys. I, if you're listening, you know, it's it's interesting. We were talking about this in the office yesterday. Um, if I'm Volition, I'm disappointed as hell totally. about this. Yes, mm-hmm. because there, unless Koch Media has some secret. Uh, I don't know, like stash of gold bars left right, over like a from Swiss bank account yeah. full of money uh, for marketing. Yeah, I I just don't see there's because that Saints Row is already a five million selling franchise. Saints Row the Third was THQ's biggest property, and uh, it needs more marketing muscle to push it to that next level of the superstar eight, nine, ten million unit sales, mm-hmm. especially with GTA coming. Yeah, and so for for uh, Koch Media, you know. I got to figure they they just don't have the resources to make that kind of push and they're you know that this this I predict now of course we've seen that my predictions are worthless right on the money yeah but there's there's no way <laughs> the next Saints Row outsells Saints Row the 3rd totally agree and by right on the money I mean nowhere near the money <laughs> yeah not even close to it can't even smell it can't see it can't taste it but I don't know yeah if I'm volition I'm disappointed um, now the uh, the flip side, if you work for Volition, I think this might actually help job security, at least in the short term. Because if an Activision or an EA came in, they yeah. might go, "Okay, we are going to turn this into a huge franchise. We're going to put tens of millions of dollars behind the marketing push." But you know what, eh, Volition, we're a big. We're going to gut we can, you. We can, yeah. No, we can yeah. we can trim some fat here. We're going to let. 15% of you go. I like whereas, gutting. Like, make it a little more vicious. Well, uh, whereas a Deep Silver is going to be... They are going to be treated like the prom queen. They're going to be like, everything we have is for you, Volition. Yes. And so they're probably not going to cut any jobs. They're probably going to devote every ounce of resource they have yep. to Volition and to Saints Row. But, again, it's more of a. I think it's more of a long-term risk because... They don't have that marketing muscle to help push the game, and if the game does trickle off over the next iteration or two, then Volition could be in a in a bad place. All right, let's talk Take Two. What did they buy? I know they bought something at THQ. Well, I can't it, remember what. It's it's still rumored, but allegedly they have WWE. Out of all the games Take Two could have purchased, well, Dude, or, WWE does monster numbers. Does it? Yes. Oh yeah, uh, okay. WWE is huge. But we're right. missing. We're missing. Uh, there is another Take Two purchase, Mitch. Really? Rumored. Well, no. This is uh, legit. I'm 
Yeah, this is the. Uh, I probably knew this. The, the turtle, the turtle rock game. What the turtle rock project? Oh, that's the, right. So the the turtle oh, the rock on, for those unannounced. Yes, correct. Oh, okay. The, for those of you that don't recall, uh, Turtle Rock is the creators of Left for Dead. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the, it, of course, it was billed as Valve, but it, Turtle Rock did the development on, yeah. on uh, Left for Dead. At least Left for Dead 1. I think, Left, I think Valve did Left for Dead 2 entirely themselves. Mm-hmm. But so Turtle Rock, ever since Left for Dead 1, they sort of amicably parted ways with Valve, uh, and then they've been working on their own, like a, a new, allegedly co-op-based first-person shooter since, which is this project codenamed Evolve, Take-Two has acquired that. The back, the last E has to be backwards, otherwise I'm not going to respect this game. Or a three. One of the E's have to be a three. That's true. And one has to be backwards. It is It is 1997, after all. <laughs> Wait, the, the V it, has to be huge, also. <laughs> so, backwards, so like, one's a three, the first E's a three, the other one's backwards, and then the V is huge. That's the logo that I'm picturing. Feel free. Sorry, you're talking all serious, and I'm just, like, riffing on the logo and, like, the crazy things. <laughs> well, you know, do. as we just discussed with Volition, logos and marketing matter, Destin. <laughs> yeah. So you're, they should They have be, a big V. They know what they're doing. They should be taking notes off of your, <laughs> off of your feedback here. Uh, what so, were some other uh, things of note? So the, another big surprise was uh, Sega who we all thought was bankrupt because uh, last they year... They just laid off They had us. a big big layoff, big restructuring. They basically canceled every game that wasn't either Aliens with Gearbox, which is yeah. about done. It's coming out next month. Or um, a smaller-scale digital title they're doing. So they're, they've really... Well, they're doing Fantasy Star. That didn't go anywhere, right? Um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's still in the works. Yeah. But is, it a, is that a full-blown... It's an MMO. Well... And that's a lot of money, and we'll see yeah. <laughs> if they can actually make that. But um, yeah, so you know, Sega did have a lot of layoffs, a lot of restructuring. Mm-hmm. But evidently, the Japanese parent of Sega, Sammy, remember yeah. Sega and Sammy merged years years and years ago. Uh, I guess Sammy has real deep pockets because they purchased Relic, the Vancouver, Canada-based developer of Dawn of War. Uh, War, the Warhammer games and, yep. and Company of Heroes too, which are interesting. Relevant to Xbox 360 gamers, though, they did Warhammer 40k Space Marine. Yeah, maybe yeah. Sega sees it as their foot in the door for those types of games, or well, maybe they need a Canadian branch. That well, it's not that it's not that it's. I mean, it's certainly a good fit in the Sega portfolio. It just, I think we we're all just surprised because no, none of us thought Sega had any money. <laughs> yeah, after after all those layoffs and mm-hmm. restructuring last year, so uh, that was a big surprise. And Crytek. Who's yes. currently finishing up Crisis Three? If uh, maybe some of you watched our Crisis Three live stream this past week, that was fun. The multiplayer was fun. I, I was playing. Say. It was good to. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the the bow, the bow and arrow. Yeah, it's good times. That seems to be the takeaway from everyone who's uh, playing. But Crytek was also. They'd also been contracted to work on Homefront Two. You remember Homefront One was developed by Chaos Studios out of New York. Mm-hmm. The game came out. They spent a. So THQ spent a ton of money on marketing and yes, drove did. it to being a big hit. Mm-hmm. You know, it did sell very, very well. Although the sort of the response, the customer response wasn't wasn't as great after people were after marketed into buying it because yeah, it was yeah. it was about a three hour, maybe four hour game. Like I, I actually literally finished that that campaign in one sitting. Mm-hmm. But um, but the multi, which, which multiplayer time? was good. Hmm? Which title? Homefront One. Oh yeah, okay. So uh, unfortunately, Chaos closed. They were they were shut down. 
and uh, THQ had contracted Crytek to do Homefront 2. So that game now, uh, Crytek, re- they acquired the rights to that whole thing, to Homefront. So Crytek owns it themselves now. Let me catch up. Crytek is the developer. Yeah. Yes. It's actually the Cry so Engine. More specifically, it's Crytek UK who's doing Homefront 2. Okay. And the Cry Engine was created by them, but yes. then they were sold? No. No. They remain independent. But now they're owned by... Nobody. They're independent. Nobody. EA and... just publishes Crisis. Yeah. Oh, EA okay. publishes it for them, and, uh, and Cry- now, Crytek now owns... Homefront outright, okay. which means they will okay. either self-publish, which is unlikely, unlikely, or they will find a publisher, probably EA. Okay. Yeah, good chance. Interesting. So that was the other bit of news. Yeah. I wonder why they go after that one. Because they're making it already. They've already spent yeah. however many millions of dollars uh, developing Homefront They've invested too. a lot of money. And, okay. Um, if, and they're like, well, we got to throw some if, cash if another, down. Yeah, if, some, if another bidder had come in and bought that, all their work would have potentially had to be thrown away. Was yeah. that the $500,000 bid? Yes. Yeah. yeah, so they got it for nothing. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. in business terms. Yeah. yeah. And then the other, the other interesting party here who was very involved was Ubisoft. Indeed. Mm-hmm. They picked up South Park. South Park, which makes me happy because yeah. that means the game should come out, should come out soon, and it'll get the big push uh, you know, Ubisoft is a power player. They're not going to screw around. We were actually at an event, and he's like, hey, just so you guys know, and he puts down <laughs> yeah. this piece of paper, we got South Park. I'm out! Yeah, see ya! So, uh, it's like, we're still doing the event. I'm right. pleased about that. <laughs> the, 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 unfortunate, the only thing they announced was they said, well, the game's, the game's coming out in calendar 2013. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, a little bit of speculation for you. Delay. I think there's a decent chance. So uh, Next-gen launch. Well, no way. No. Well, hold on. Destin is not wrong. The game, South Park has its look, because it looks exactly like the show. Yeah. It doesn't matter what platform it's on, whether it's an iPad, an Xbox One, an Xbox 360, uh, or an Xbox 720. So Mm -hmm. I agree, Destin. I think there is a decent chance that they will now invest uh, the next four, five, six months in doing an Xbox 720 PlayStation 4 version that they can put out at launch because it'll look exactly the same. Yeah, right. It'll just be two more platforms they can put the game out on. Yeah. I mean, we were on the same wavelength. The game's and, probably basically done. You think they're going to delay it that long? I mean, it was supposed to come out next two months. For well, now? the thing is, here's the thing: if the game's done, then they're not in really investing any any resources in it. They can park on it until whatever fiscal quarter mm-hmm. it, it helps the most for. Sure. So, you know, they could put it out tomorrow. They could put it out at the holidays. And, yeah, Destin, I'm with you, especially given we've talked about Ubisoft's track record mm-hmm. with platform launches. Oh, Any yeah. platform launch, Vita, 3DS, Connect, mm-hmm. Xbox 360, Ubisoft always has uh, several games at any platform launch with the hope that even one or two of them sticks and takes off and becomes a big brand that can make the money for years and years and years. So, it, to me, I agree. I think it makes a lot of sense that maybe they'll they'll do a, a next-gen version of South Park to launch at the same time as everything else. I think, it, I think it'll launch before that. Here's what. No, I think you're wrong. Here's what I think they're going to do. <laughs> you're wrong, I, I, No, I think they're going to change the date to DBA, right? DBA? TBA. T, to be right. announced, you know. Yeah, DBA. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> but, We've uh, announced a new date to be so announced. Like, they'll announce that it's going to be delayed, and then at E3, they're going to be like, they're going to, like, ham it up a little bit in the press conference and be like, all right, everybody, I know you're worried about South Park, but we have a date for you, and it's launching with that console that we were just talking about, day yeah. one. 
you know? I think there's a good chance. We shall see. And it will also launch on current gen. Everybody's happy, but really it's a big tactic to sell more everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. And you're right about the look. That cell shaded sort of look, they can get away with having that on next gen and people won't be like, these graphics suck. Well, exactly. Because <laughs> the whole point of the game is to look exactly like the show, yeah. which it yeah, does. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then finally, Ubisoft not done. They acquired uh, THQ Patrice, Montreal. Patrice, what's his face? Patrice Desilet. Yeah, I can't pronounce his Who's last name. Who's the creator of Assassin's Creed? Who left, started started oh. THQ <laughs> Montreal. He's now been reacquired. They're like, we don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I'm really curious how he feels about that because I don't like I don't know how he left Ubisoft. I I don't like I don't think it was on bad terms. Um, probably not. But it's probably it's a little weird for him to go and start this studio and get acquired by THQ and yeah. build this team from the ground up for this new IP. And then suddenly it's like, well, here I am again. <laughs> I can just imagine him with his French accent. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm uh, curious if they're just going to become a branch of Ubisoft Montreal right now because UB Montreal just expanded to a second office. Montreal, that's uh, Raymond, right? Is she heading up that one, or is she Toronto? Jade, Jade Raymond Toronto. is in Toronto. Oh, okay. I couldn't remember. Um, Montreal has too many people and too many studios to be manned by one or two people. Yeah. Toronto's the new one. Montreal's yeah. the established Correct. one. Toronto's okay. doing Splinter Cell. So I don't know if that's just going to be like a third satellite office for THQ Montreal, or if they're going to rebrand, or uh, Ubisoft Montreal, or if they're going to rebrand it as something else. Good question. Um, and And will... Will the game, the unannounced game, reportedly codenamed 1666, 1666. Uh, which to me... World War II title? Wait, that's nope. not the right thing. <laughs> a good um, year for World War II, 1666. Um, the question is, will, will that project continue, or, the, or will Ubisoft decide, we're going to cancel that, and Patrice, you're right back on Assassin's Creed. <laughs> no, I, I doubt oh, it. Oh, man. I, I mean, I that, They don't it. need him. That would be an invitation. They would be asking him to leave I at presu- that point. Yeah, yeah, I presume they acquired that studio because they probably saw the game or know something about it. Like, I highly doubt they bought that studio specifically to get Patrice back. Absolutely. Patrice probably still talks about it. That would be it. a lot of money to pay for one guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He probably still talks about it. They're probably excited for it. So, like, let's buy it. We know it's going to be big. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and finally, so there will be another auction for THQ's back catalog of IPs, Destroy All Humans. Red Faction. Diblob, That's the one Red I'll be Faction. Part of. Yeah. So, I need you to buy us Red Faction. Oh, okay. Done. Get in. Make sure to get your bid in. People were tweeting um, at me. They're like, "Destin, I don't see you on the auction list." <laughs> so, uh, what I what I pat, what I glossed over, what I didn't what I didn't say, and uh, is worth mentioning, even though it's unfortunately very sad, is Vigil, the the Austin, Texas based studio behind the Darksiders games, did not receive any bids. They Zero. were not sold, and they were closed. Yep. So they are wow. unfortunately a lot of people lost their jobs. Um, the good news: the Austin game development community is very big. And very uh, active. So hopefully all those folks will find new employment. Head to it or Arcane or somewhere. Or uh, Junction Point, Warren yeah. Spector's place. There's a, lot, there's a lot of activity down there. Uh, there's a lot of MMO development down there on the PC Bioware's side. Down there. BioWare Austin is there, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I'm curious what happens to the Darksiders IP, because well, Vigil is just gone. It is dark. The Darksiders IP will now be part of this follow-up auction. Okay. And uh, Platinum Games, makers of Vanquish... Uh, makers of a lot of Bayonetta. Metal Gear Rising. Yeah. Uh, Metal Gear Rising. That's their next title out next month. Yep. They have expressed interest in the Darksiders oh, wait. IP. Wait, it's Metal Gear Revengeance. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> You're fine. 
to me, see, I'm a guy, I, I thought Darksiders was okay, but I was never compelled enough to really get into it. Mm-hmm. But a Vanquish, or excuse me, a, uh, yeah. a, the, a Platinum version, a Platinum Games version of Darksiders, I am there Featuring in two Vanquish? No, seconds. I, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I, don't, I don't know. We heard about this because I think it was Inaba or Kamiya was on Twitter from Platinum. Yeah. And they were just kind of jokingly like, no bids? We would have bought that. And I feel like this story is getting blown way out of proportion. Well, maybe, but maybe now they'll actually do it. That would be great. Um, maybe stranger like, things have happened. That said, I feel like that IP is better off in someone else's hands. Like, Platinum is not the ideal developer Wouldn't you want a f- yes. super fast action game yes. with, with Death, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, just effing S up? Like, in sliding the around on his knees with, like, jet <laughs> rocket jet packs. Rocket. And... Come on, Mitch. On the horse. On Two things. The... Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Secondly, uh, no. Darksiders 3 will be a different hero, because that was the whole progression. Well, whatever. Um, There's two spoilers. more horsemen to go. Anyway, spoilers. They've Jeez. always said every game would be a different hero. Not, I mean, not that they're I'm calling the shots hero. anymore. Um, but that game is not just about the combat. The combat was good, but, like, that game was about exploration and discovery and dis- <laughs> traversal and all the cool stuff that makes Zelda games awesome and Uncharted games awesome. Yeah, like traversal. Yeah, traversal. Traversal's awesome. <laughs> I want to kill things as a, as a horseman of the apocalypse. That's how Darksiders got popular, that Zelda comparison. Like, and yeah. Um, yeah. It made people check it out. Yeah. So uh, that is that is the well, THQ Fallout. So there's there's a lot of interesting things. All let me rephrase that quick. It got popular because it's good, right? One well, of the bonus reasons. It was okay. Yeah. yeah, Mitch, what can we buy this week? What can we spend our money on? Well, at retail, there's nothing much. You can get the re-release of Bioshock and Bioshock Two for forty bucks. They call that the Bioshock Ultimate Rapture Edition. Already got them. Don't care. Hold up, because don't need to. The Xbox Just 360 version two. of this is awesome. So on PS3, you get uh, Bioshock 1 and 2, you get some DLC, and I think a soundtrack. But the 360 version, our news editor, Andrew Goldfar, was telling me, it's it's a totally different version. It's hmm. It comes in this fancy case. It's actually like a really awesome case. It's, okay. not, it's not steel. Um, it folds out, and it's four discs. There's uh, the ga- the games, the, DL- the DLC, the soundtracks, whatever. It also hmm. comes with like a bunch of stickers and junk. Um, but the case is really pretty. It's just a really high-res image of a little sister holding a big daddy's hand yeah uh nice and subtle but then there's also on these other discs andrew was saying that there's a whole space that you can just explore in, like you can play through areas of the game just walking around that didn't make it just hmm. concept areas well that's stuff neat. That was wow cut. i like that yeah that's awesome that's awesome right? i've never heard of a developer doing that that's not on the ps3 version which makes no sense to me i don't understand wow. it well maybe it was like ported as ps3 Wait, by a separate was it, yeah was it from is that unfinished area from bioshock one or two i believe it's one well that's why it's not on the ps3 version because the ps3 version was ported yeah to the ps3 way later a that's year correct. later yeah and though, that extremes. probably didn't ex- though, that test area whatever we're talking about, that probably didn't ex- didn't even yeah, yeah. make it over to ps3 code very good point so that is my educated guess on that yeah one. so i mean if you're a hardcore bioshock fan i mean this if, if you want to see stuff that didn't make the cut this could absolutely be worth your time mm. and forty dollars uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this shortly, Ryan. The Cave is on XBLA for $15. Yes. I heard you like that game. I do like it. It's a, it's a, and it's an adventure game, and it's a Ron Gilbert adventure game. That should really be the only thing I need to say. It looks cool. And people on Twitter are super high on it, so yes. I'm going to check it out as soon as possible. Yeah, we'll talk to Ron here in just a second. Anything else? Yeah, there's a playable demo for Dead Space 3 on the Marketplace. It's the same demo we saw at E3. Check it out, or don't. It's uh, <laughs> or don't. don't be a downer. This game, I, the demo's good. And it's co-op. You can play multiplayer. 
I, w- I wouldn't check out the demo because it's like in the middle of the game. Why would I want to ruin that for myself? That's true. But you can get an idea. People are like super worried about what the the tone, the horror is. It's still yeah. a Dead Space game. Like this mm-hmm. is a very clear indication of what you can expect. Well, good. Well, based on the demo I saw, though, it's all snow. So is that really indicative? Yes. Indicative? Indicative? Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's, there's more to Dead Space than snow, but that's certainly right. a substantial portion of it. All right. Good stuff. All right, we'll be right back with the one and only Ron Gilbert. This podcast is brought to you by Audible, a provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 titles to choose from. For listeners of Podcasts Unlocked, Audible is offering a free audiobook download when you sign up for a free 30-day trial. If you're not already quoting from it every day, may we suggest checking out Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. It's like The Matrix mixed with video games, Star Wars, and transforming Japanese robots. And we love it. To get started, head to audiblepodcast.com slash unlocked and follow the instructions to get your free audiobook. On with the show. I am very honored this week on Podcast Unlocked to be joined from a great distance, uh, uh, the incredible four-block walk that it took to get here. Uh, Ron Gilbert from Double Fine Productions, whose new game The Cave is out this week on Xbox Live Arcade and just about every other platform you could possibly want. Ron, welcome. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is fantastic. I really appreciate you coming by. Uh, I've got a... I, I mean, you're probably... I don't know how uncomfortable you get with in fan situations. Like, if I tell you that I played Monkey Island 1 with uh, my best friend when I was 12, and then Monkey 2, and pretty much all your games, is that a is that a flattering thing, or is that just a... Oh, that's... No, that's uncomfortable well, I, and weird. I think, I think as long as you don't want to hug... Yeah, I, th- I think I think well, I'm fine. We have a table's distance between right, us, and so. I'll try to stay as professional <laughs> as I can. Um, so let's. I want to start kind of on that note. Like, are, you know, you are a very respected, revered guy in your field. I mean, you, when anyone thinks of adventure games, they think of you and Tim. Arguably, I mean, you're the the two veteran guys that have uh, incredible resumes, and you've made fantastic games. Are you Are you comfortable being? Uh, in that in that sort of position as a as a revered respected guru of adventure games um yeah i mean i i guess i don't you know i don't think about it like that so i don't i don't really know um you know a lot of people love you know those games maniac mansion and monkey island and um you know that's great you know i'm really glad i mean i'm, I'm glad that i did something that so many people like yeah and that's always a, that's always a thrill you know, to to know that you did something something like that. When when uh, when you made both of them, I mean, Maniac Mansion and Monkey Island. I know the world was a vastly different place, the video game world then. But did you know that you had something special? Did you have any inkling that wow, this might catch on and these might be games that uh, that live on? Or or are you just too caught up in the moment and let's just get this thing done? Yeah, not at all. You know, I mean, when Gary Winnick and I were doing Maniac Mansion, I mean, we, we just didn't want to get fired. I mean, really, <laughs> that was our main goal in that game was we just did not want to get fired. So, yeah, we were not thinking about that at all. And also, you know, times, you know, were very different just in terms of your ability to communicate with fans. And, yeah. you know, back then you'd do a game and then, you know, the magazine reviewers would review it, and then it would be two months before it would appear in a magazine. So you had no idea whether people even liked the game. There was no way to really communicate with fans of the game back then 
So you had no idea whether people were actually enjoying the thing that you were, you know, you had built. So it was, it was weird kind of, you know, feeling your way through a dark room with, you know, with releasing stuff like that. So, you know, we just had no idea. And the other thing is a lot of that stuff, you know, took a lot of time to catch. You know, when Monkey Island came out, you know, it got okay reviews, but yeah. it didn't get huge reviews, you hmm. know, and it didn't actually sell that well. And it was always very frustrating, you know, because Sierra Online just sold 10 times as many yep. copies of anything we ever did. King's Quest, Space Quest. Yeah, so, you know, things like Monkey Island, people look back at them now through 20 years of history. And, you know, they, 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 I think they imagine that, you know, we released that game and it was like Star Wars. It was just overnight. It was this massive hit. But that just wasn't the case. You know, it took, it took like five or six years really for Monkey Island to catch with people and, and really become, you know, the cult classic that it is. But that's the beauty is, is it is an ageless game. I mean, it's, it was uh, polished up and re-released in, a, in special edition form by LucasArts a couple of years ago. And and a whole new generation of people play it and love it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's got to make you feel good. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, I would be lying if I said it doesn't. You know, it, it definitely is is a neat feeling to know that there are a, a lot of people that really like something that you did. Now, you mentioned, I mean, things really were vastly different then. I mean, I was a growing up gamer at the time. You were in the early part of your career making games. I mean, could you even get a game called The Secret of Monkey Island greenlit now in, in today's in today's world? <laughs> no, yeah, I think about that a lot. You know, I, I, I think about if, you know, if Monkey Island were released today as it is right now. Yeah. Like it probably would not be successful. You know, there are a lot of really hard puzzles in that game. Yes. It takes a really long time to play. Uh, you know, there's just there's just a lot of things about it that that people love kind of through the the you know lens of nostalgia mm-hmm. um but i you know i don't know that it would be hugely successful today if, uh, game if it was just unleashed you know on the market um as it is now but so i'm curious um you know as a as a a very well respected creator in the games industry who do you admire in the games industry who are the who are the people out there where you're like oh, i can't wait to play his or her next game uh wow that's a good question right you really put me on the spot here uh, <laughs> with that one uh <laughs> i'm always curious to hear these answers from your side of the table yeah no it's i mean it is interesting i mean i love um um tim shaver <laughs> not, def- <laughs> not definitely no, def- not definitely not no Well, maybe that's a better, like, at least maybe we can warm up to that question. What do you play? You make adventure games. You've done so for years. Are you a guy, do you play first-person shooters? Do you play, you worked on a strategy game at one point in your career, you've, uh, which I have a sort of question related to, but you've, you know, having mostly been an adventure game guy in your career, what, in 2013, what kind of games, uh, genres of games do you like? The, The games I'm playing a lot of these days are iOS games. Because it, you know, it, it kind of fits the, you know, the free time yeah. that I have, which isn't a whole lot of free time. You right. know? So I play a lot of iOS games. I love tower defense games a lot. So, you know, I play, you know, everyone that comes out, you yes. know, tower defense games. I like those. I played uh, World of Warcraft a whole lot. I stopped mm-hmm. playing it about a year and a half ago uh, just because I was, you know, the, the cave was really kicking up. Sure. And I, I just could not afford to spend three hours a night raiding. 
So, you know, I had to quit on that. I did play that a lot. I mean, I have a lot of respect for the people, you know, at Blizzard. Um, but, you know, it's, I don't, I don't really, um, I played, uh, you know, I played um, Diablo when it came out. I played that a lot. Um, I tend to play a lot of PC games. I'm not actually a really big console gamer. Yeah. So I don't, I don't play well, a lot of Well, you came up, yeah, you've been a PC gamer your whole life, yeah, really, right? Yeah, so. yeah, I mean, I enjoyed Limbo quite a bit, you know, when that came out on Excellent. the consoles. I played that. A lot of respect for those guys. Well, just blurt out if anybody pops into your head that, <laughs> that other question about uh, about creators you admire. So I guess I'll just jump ahead real fast. I had this question for way yeah, later, I'm, but I'm, I'm really bad about being put on the spot like that. Like walking <laughs> back to the office, I will just be You'll flooded with all of these people. It's like, oh, what did I think of him? Oh, I totally should have thought of him. So you yeah. can just call me, record it, and we'll right, just we'll just, just put it, yeah, we'll, we'll edit it in and post, and it'll it sound in. perfect. I mean, I always like the stuff Allo did. Yeah, you know, with the Leisure Suit Larry stuff, you know, those and now are, he's remaking yeah, which is the original, really which is yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, those those were one of some of the few um, you know Sierra games that I played and really liked. That and the Space Quest stuff, yeah, um, I, I really liked a lot that they had done. So uh, this, you mentioned iOS stuff. Uh, I, I do want to jump ahead. Our one good listener question that came in, Steve wrote in and asks, uh, it seems to me that the tablet is the perfect form factor for point-and-click adventure games. We've, of course, seen this. Uh, Telltale's putting out, put out all their stuff on, on iOS. Uh, do you expect we'll ever see the cave ported to iOS and Android? I'm sure you've probably been asked this a few times before, but what is the Ron Gilbert company line? Yeah, we've been asked that a lot about whether we're going to see those on those platforms. And, you know, we ju- we're looking at a lot of stuff. I mean, now that the game is done. You know, we have a little more time, you know, with the technical folks to go right. look at different things. Is so that Sega's call ultimately or the publisher? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know contractually how that all works. Right. I don't know if if they have the rights to those or don't have the rights. But, I mean, it is something we're looking at, but, you know, I, no decision has been made. Fair enough. So it's you want to do it, but you're wait, you're waiting for the lawyers to tell you, or well, lawyers and or money guys. Well, I think it's more of a just a technical issue, right? You know, as well. You know, can you know can I mean the cave is a huge game. Right? It is it's a big giant game, and it streams in. There's no loads. There's none of that stuff. So you know, is it something that can really be done on iOS? And can we figure out a control system for it that really works? I mean, it's just right. there's a whole lot of questions that we need to answer that are you know kind of beyond contractual stuff. So getting back to to you, because that's you know we'll, we'll talk plenty about the cave, but again, this is my first chance to really sit down with with with, with you as a as a creator and somebody whose whose games I love. What's the worst part of game development for you? What's your least favorite part of it? Least favorite part of game development? I think it's it's the middle of the project when the, nothing works yet yeah the 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 beginning of the project is a lot of fun because you're doing a lot of design work and you're getting a lot of systems in for the very first time and you're seeing you know you're first starting to th- see things come together the end of the project is also really exciting because a lot's going on and yeah. there's a lot of pressure and you're having to make really fast decisions and maybe you're having to cut some things that aren't quite working right and and that's also a fun time i think it's that that middle where Everything is just kind of grinding through the machine, you know, getting made. That is right. probably my least, my least favorite phase of uh, of making a game. So you like you like picking out the ingredients for the sausage and then eating the sausage, right? But, but, but uh, not making the yeah. sausage. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> not. I mean, I like it. I mean, I do like the whole process. But yeah. that's probably my least my my least favorite phase. Uh, continuing on the sort of the sort of uh, high level philosophical questions. 
I promise there's only one or two more of these. What would you tell your your 20 years ago self if you could right now? I tell my 20 my 20 20 year old. So like mon- the, the Monkey self. Island era, the the guy who, you know, the Ron Gilbert that's in the middle of 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 uh, LucasArts days making Monkey Island, would there be a piece of advice you'd go back and send and give to yourself? Well, if I could go back a couple of years earlier and, you know, tell the version of myself that was making Maniac Mansion, I would probably tell myself to think a little bit more about puzzles that have dead ends to them. That's the one part of that game that still bugs me Mm. is that you can do the things that, can completely screw you in the game and <laughs> which was sort of that's a big uh design philosophy of yours that's you've always said you know that's the big difference between lucas arts games and ron gilbert games and those sierra games is you can't die in your right. games and in lucas arts games yeah and that i mean that really came from that experience on maniac mansion yeah and and that we did you know, we did have a lot of things you know you just forget to pick up a package you forget to do something and the game is unwinnable but the player doesn't even know it's unwinnable. I mean, it's not like the screen came up and says, oh, you've lost. Yep. They can just keep playing for the next four hours and just have no idea uh, how to how to fix it. And I think that's the one thing in that game that's always kind of bugged me. And I'd love to go back and just tell myself, don't do that. Whose idea was it to hide uh, Maniac Man, the, the original game, in Day of the Tentacle? Did... I, I don't know whose idea that was. Uh, I think that idea actually came from... Um, if I'm not mistaken, Eric Wilmunder, who was one of the programmers uh, on the Scum system, you know, he he helped me yeah. along with Brad Taylor to do the Scum system, and he just loved tackling really weird technical problems like that. Like I think he probably just figured that was an amazing challenge to get the original game running in it. But I don't know if it originally, you know, came from him or somebody just suggested it over lunch, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, I got to do that." It is one of the greatest Easter eggs of all time. Yeah, no, it's really really cool. <laughs> so all right let's uh fast forward a tad do you do you get tired of being asked about what you would do if you could make your own monkey island 3 your your own next monkey island game because everybody asks you that's like you know it's it's sort of the inescapable portion of your of your legacy as it were yeah i do i do get asked that a lot and i mean if, if i could and and i do think about it a lot and i don't think the answer is necessarily a simple answer. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going to make a third Monkey Island game when Monkey Island 2 was done, but, you know, then I went off and started Humongous Entertainment. And, you know, I don't I don't know that it's possible to go back and make that actual game hmm. anymore, you know, just because, you know, I'm a different person than sure. I was back then. So I just would not be able to make that exact, you know, that exact game as I'd kind of uh, envisioned it. But I would like to, you know, I would like to carry on that spirit of it. I mean, I would like to pick up the story at the end of Monkey Island 2 with the whole thing with the amusement park. One of the and, best and, endings ever. Or the, or the worst endings, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> that that ending Most really, debatable, for sure. It, it polarizes people. You know, I do run into people who go, that's the greatest ending ever. And I run into people who just said, that ending was horrible. How could you ever do that? So it really polarizes people, which I think is I think is good actually. I mean, I'm, I'd almost yeah. rather create something that half the people hated and half the people loved, rather than create something that everybody loved. So where did that that brings me to uh, where did where does that where do you sit then on what happened with Mass Effect Three last year? You probably <laughs> see because I felt like as a as a 
gamer and guy who gets paid to to write about games for a living i i looked at it and went boy i i wish bio i wish bioware would would stop listening to these really vocal people and just trust themselves as game designers and and let just let whatever ending they want to be out there be out there and if people hate it then that's their prerogative but so how do you how do you see it cuz you you clearly must have had an opinion i mean every every you can't you couldn't miss that story last year yeah i mean my opinion about you know that ending was just stop bitching about it you know <laughs> it 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 is what it is and and you should accept it or not accept it and you know i have a lot of um you know i have a lot of respect for creative people in, in what they do and if they want to do something and i don't like it as long as they believed in it i'm okay with it right i'm i mean i'm only yeah. okay with decisions that people make that fail just because they were just lazy mm-hmm. but if they believe in something and i don't like it i'm totally okay with that because that that was their vision and that's what they believed in and i i think they should just do that did you appreciate the the nod to the ending of Monkey Island 2 in the beginning of Curse where, where Guybrush is, which is obviously for those that are, just to be 100% clear, Curse of Monkey Island, the third game, was not your game. You had, you had departed LucasArts by then. But it begins with, with Guybrush floating in the, in the sea on a bumper car, which yes. is uh, a straight nod to the end of Monkey Island yes. 2. No, and, and, and I did like that, you know, and I, and I talked to, um, you know, I talked to those guys later. Was that, that, was, that was, was that Jonathan Ackley and Larry yeah. Ahern? Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, John, Jonathan and Larry did that. And I talked to them afterwards, you know, many years afterwards, and they said they just had no idea what to do with the ending of Monkey 2. <laughs> How to retcon They it. had no idea, you know, so... They just kind of had to do something because they didn't want to ignore it. No, right? So, yeah, yeah. No, that didn't. That I, I mean, I love that ending. You know, to, I mean, to me, like one of the best endings of a movie ever is the ending of Blazing Saddles, and that just weird non sequitur. Yeah, just the whole story just running off the rails in that movie. <laughs> I just I love that so much. So, um. Do you get tired of being asked what the secret of Monkey Island is? I'm going to I'm going to drill down until you're annoyed, Ron. That's the point. All right, we're starting to get into annoyed territory. <laughs> uh, uh you know, I, I I mean it's a hard question to answer. It's like no, I don't get tired of of people asking it and you know, at some point it would be nice to be able to answer it. Yeah. But I really don't want to answer it. Because there is this possibility that maybe I would get to make a third game, right. and I would I would really like to answer that question, you know, in game form. That was my next, not question. necessarily in, uh, you know, in, in, in interview form. So yes, uh, is it feasible on any planet that uh, that Disney might license or 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 make it possible for you to make a Monkey Island game? I mean, do you you have no doubt a lawyer who is? Uh, I actually ha- don't have a lawyer. Well. Do you have any people that have reached out to <laughs> to to the new owners of Monkey Island's IP? Because you know, I I appreciate that you are still have a love and a connection to Monkey Island. You know, a lot of creators might say, "Well, you know, I I'm that's done. I did that 20 years ago." But um, I, the world would want the world wants to see what your next Monkey Island would be. So, is there a is that some? Is that a process you would look into at some point if you haven't already? Well, I, I would love to own the rights to Monkey Island and also Maniac Mansion. You yeah, know, those are, I would just love to own the rights to those games. And you know whether Disney would sell them, you know, I don't know. 
Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of feel the odds of Lucasfilm selling them were like zero. Right. right. That was always the MO. There was no way they were right. gonna, ever going to. But, but then but then the Telltale games happened. Well, they weren't sold. They just licensed, licensed those. Right? right. They just licensed them. So, you know, Telltale just got a license to do those. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe there's a chance that Disney would sell them now. You know, I don't know. Yeah, what do they care? Would, what, I don't know whether that would happen or not, but that would kind of, I mean, that would be my dream is to, is to get that license and then be able to do what I wanted yeah. with it. Because I've always felt that if I'm going to do another Monkey Island game, it has to be a 2D point and click game. Oh, thank I, you for saying that. I, I, I don't think that you could take Monkey Island and, and, and try to modernize it and do it in 3D and, and do just a, you know, a whole bunch of weird stuff with it. There's, there's just so much history with that game. I think you just, you'd want to do it as a 2D yeah. point-and-click game. But you know, I don't know that Disney would really necessarily want a 2D point-and-click Monkey Island game. I think they would really want something that had more mass appeal and uh-huh. was you know, <laughs> no. modernized in all these ways. And I just have no desire to make that game. Well, that's, uh, did, did, I'll, I'll get off Monkey Island soon, I promise. And we will talk about The Cave, which is available now on Xbox Live Arcade, all platforms. Uh, 15 American dollars or whatever the equivalent fake console currency is microsoft points or what have you um did what did you think of the art style of curse of monkey island and uh is that is that how you would have seen it evolve in your head or what what sort of the the look that you would have pictured monkey island heading in visually that's probably not the look i would have picked i did like it i I thought that was a good look i I love it i thought they did a really good job of that but i i really hadn't thought too much you know about about what it would look like um so i you know it's 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 kind of like people ask me well what do you think of the voice you know of of guybrush and you know i'm i'm fine with it i you know I, i think it's good but it's not something I ever imagined in my head because, you know, we didn't have voice back then. Sure. It wasn't even, you know, a foreseeable thing to do voice back then. So I, I just never really imagined it too much inside my head. Um, now, you did on, on Monkey Island, on the Monkey Island 2 special edition that LucasArts released a couple years ago where they gave it a new art treatment and uh, a few other bells and whistles, there is a fantastic optional commentary much like a, a director's commentary on a dvd with yourself and tim schaefer and dave grossman mm-hmm. uh was that the first time that the three of you had been in the same room together for a while or do you do you see obviously you work with tim now uh do, you, do the three of you uh collaborate or get together at all yeah i don't i don't think that was the last time but uh you know i do you know i'm good friends with tim and i'm good friends with dave you know so i do i do see them a lot so it's not like we hadn't seen each yeah. other in a long time i was curious because um, that you know that's you're, you've already got uh a key collaborator if, if, if you ever did get monkey island back in your in your possession uh tim would would you would at he would be involved i would presume right that yeah i mean i would love to have both tim and dave involved right i mean i just i don't think that it would it would be you know right not to have both of them involved you know in that process yeah. so uh double fine has had a lot of success on kickstarter so if we start a kickstarter right now to buy the monkey you know to raise a fund to get the monkey allen rights back uh from disney i, I think we could create a quite a groundswell and basically cause disney to cave and they would have to do it 
Yeah, well, the problem with you know doing the Kickstarter for that is Disney can always look at the Kickstarter and just always ask for a dollar more, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're, you need, it's true. You need you need to get them to name a price and then you know start a Kickstarter to try to you know meet that price. All right. for we're that gonna stuff. we're gonna get our top people on this immediately. Okay, good. Um, you, you you have more lawyers than I do here at IGN. <laughs> that, so <laughs> that may be true. That may be true. We are ultimately owned by News Corp here. Um, are you really? Yeah, IGN is a news oh, news corp corporation. Wow. Yes, uh, Rupert Murdoch signs my checks, not personally. Wow. Um, so he's a nice guy, you know. I've I've uh, you know we have lunch from time to time. Right. We get together. We talk baseball. He's a fan of the podcast, I assume. Yeah, he's he's on. He's like he's like the the third commentator here normally. <laughs> um, so you know you mentioned you, know, you 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 went away for a while uh, after LucasArts to make the putt putt games and the other the other stuff at humongous uh and to me that was almost like i mean in certainly in hindsight it was it was like jordan running off to play baseball before before come, for the with the, for the white Sox system before coming back to the bulls um and obviously you you came back you returned uh you worked at hothead uh with the penny arcade adventure game for a bit and then and then you did death spank and now, of course, a double fine. Um, but you, you know, in that time, you essentially, you practically invented uh, edutainment. I would say you 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 can be credited with that. And what what decided what made you decide to take your career in that direction after doing, you know, so called entertainment hardcore? We didn't really call them hardcore games, mm-hmm. and then they were just games. But what made you want to go in that direction? And then what made you want to come back? Well, there were two things that you know made me want to start humongous entertainment the first was that i had you know i'd been working at lucasfilm for eight years yeah and i I felt like i learned a lot about the business and not just making games but Mm -hmm. about marketing and about pr i mean those things are so important and i i felt like i'd learned a lot about that and i really just wanted to start my own company i wanted to you know, be able to, you know, to do that kind of, you know, those kinds of things and really, you know, see whether I could do that. Yeah. And then the other thing that really led to doing the games for kids was, you know, watching a five-year-old play Monkey Island and he couldn't read and there was no speech back then. So he really had no idea what the story was, Mm -hmm. but he was just absolutely fascinated with just clicking on things clicking on a door and watching it open and walking through it and clicking on people and getting things to happen and eventually figuring out, you know, what, what verb actually opened the door and what verb picked something up. And you couldn't really read them, but you just, you know, just intuitively figured it all out. And, you know, just watching that and seeing how fascinated, you know, he was with an adventure game that he had no idea what was actually going on really made me think, you know, what if you made adventure games that really were just for kids, that they were fully voiced so they didn't have to worry about reading and the puzzles were simplified in such a way, but at their core, they were just true, honest adventure games. And that's really what led, you know, to going down and doing the children's games. So did, did, uh, do you have kids yourself? I don't. So you were, th- this, this is then an inspiration of your, this is like coming from a genuine love of video games and wanting to, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is you, you know, this is, this is coming from a very virtuous place. Then if you're, you know, you didn't have any kids yourself, but you, you could see the, it's like you, it's almost like you're Walt Disney and you'd see the magic seed in a child and wanted to try and 
yeah, I mean, bring it, out the love of games. It, I mean, it was really fascinating, you know, to to watch, um, you know, to watch, uh, you know, him, him play the game. And and the other thing was, um, you know, there's this kind of secret motive I had, which was I thought, well, if 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 if, if we can get a whole bunch of five and six year olds to fall in love with adventure games, <laughs> You've when got they them. grow up, they're going to want to play adventure games. Yes. And so it was just subversively trying to, you know, breed this entire generation of <laughs> adventure game uh, fans. And, you know, to some degrees th- that has it actually worked. happened, you know, it's like I will have people come up to me and they you know, talk to me about how they played Putt-Putt and Freddy Fish and Pajama Sam when they were kids. And yeah. they just love those games, and they've just kept playing adventure games ever since. That's great. Uh, now, then, so Death Spank was, was a little bit of a change of pace for you in that it was, I mean, it had jokes. and so it, it, was, it had a Ron Gilbert flair, but it wasn't really an adventure game. I mean, it was a, more of a hack-and-slashy action game, I, I would say. Um, your first real non-adventure game since you, you have uh, another thing that sticks out on your resume is Total Annihilation that you were, uh, I believe, a producer on. Producer, if, if, yeah. I, mm-hmm. if, uh, if I'm correct. So do you, do you have any desire to venture outside of, of your adventure game comfort zone, as it were, again? Uh, or, or were those sort of just interesting little experiments that uh, you did and are, and are done with? I'd like to try new things always. So, you know, I, I definitely do want to do, you know, different types of games, not just do adventure games, you know, for the rest of my life. And I've always loved, you know, RPG games like Diablo Mm -hmm. and, you know, so Death Bank was really, you know, saying, okay, well, you know, can we do one of those, but, you know, add some humor to it. And it had, you know, dialogue trees like, you know, Monkey Island had. And, you know, can, you know, can we kind of do that, but still kind of, you know, have an RPG stuff. And I still love RPGs. I'd love to really just sink my teeth into a really big, large RPG sometime. A Ron Gilbert comedic RPG would, could be the greatest role-playing game ever made. Are you, are you, are you looking forward for that very reason to the, uh, I know it's fate is sort of a little weird right now, but the the South Park role playing game that Obsidian is is yeah, up, is I up actually to. I actually am looking forward to that quite a bit. It's very high on my list. Yeah. I'm I'm very curious to see, especially with with the South Park guys involved. Yep, yep, yeah. Um, no, I, I I definitely want to play that one. Um, that actually, I'm going to jump ahead then to that leads perfectly into I don't know. Did you ever? I don't know if you ever played uh, one of my favorite uh, '90s adventure games besides the Lucas stuff was a game called Beavis and Butthead and Virtual Stupidity. <laughs> I don't know if you know of this game at all or remember no, it. No, I've um, never heard of that it game. Was a, it was a point-and-click from, uh, from MTV that, that was phenomenal. Mike Judge did the voices, and it, it felt like a playable Beavis and Butthead cartoon. So where I'm going with this is, are there any, are there any licenses that you would love to get your hands on and make, make an adventure game, make your... Uh, a Ron Gilbert adventure game out of. Yeah, I tend not to like to do licenses because for me the really the fun part of creating games and and adventure games specifically are creating the world yeah. and creating all the characters. And you know, doing a license uh it is really restrictive on that because even if you do have some leeway to create some new stuff, you know, you're constantly having to get approval True. on whether this is good, does this fit? 
Uh, so yeah, like working, I mean, working in licenses doesn't really interest me, you know, that much. I did the, you know, the Indiana Jones and the um, Last Crusade adventure game. Yes, which is really the closest I've ever come to working on, you know, a license. Although, of course, in that case, all you had to do was probably walk down the hallway or to an adjacent building and and get told no, rather than yeah, that's true. Right. Have some lawyer right from New York call you up and. Right, have we, some just, we just, just bug George in the lunch line. <laughs> so, um, are you working on Project Reds? Are you are you contributing to that? Are you? Uh... I'm not doing a whole lot on that uh, because you know the. I mean, the cave had been going on for you know probably six months or almost nine months before the Kickstarter had happened. So right. I was just. I mean, I was. You were knee deep neck in your deep thing. in the cave, yep. and it's it's just been nonstop up until i mean literally yesterday <laughs> so i just i haven't had much chance to really work on that other than you know just chatting with tim about it right i mean the, the the i would say i'm not sure how you feel about it being uh being there and with the cameras around but i've found it uh, i mean i i backed double fine adventure happily uh, you know it's a big fan of of tim and 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 double fine and can't wait to see what comes of it i've found to my surprise that the 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 documentary has been worth the amount I backed alone. It has been a fascinating insight. You know, one, there's been everything from a look at the art to uh, to who do we hire to, uh, to sort of these little side episodes. One was a great sit down chat with you, where you and Tim were just mm-hmm. just riffing about adventure games. Um, have you uh, have you found that to be uh, to to be an intrusive thing or? Do you forget that the cameras are there? Uh, is it, is it, uh, has it been worthwhile to you, or are you ready for for the documentary part to be over? <laughs> well, you know, I really don't like being on camera. It's you know, it's one of those things I just I I don't like at all. Sure. It's like I do have to do it. There's a certain part of it, you know, with doing interviews and stuff. So I've always created this little game around the office where you know, can I walk and get someplace and actually not be caught on camera <laughs> in any way? So I will kind of slink around the side of a desk, you know, to get somewhere, just because I I just don't like being on camera. So we won't we're not going to see a a documentary covering whatever your next game is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be very emotionally painful for me, which is maybe why I should do it, right? I mean, sometimes well, getting out of your comfort zones is like the best thing to to do. And it's, you know, there's something to be said for that, but there's also something to be said for whatever makes you comfortable and makes your uh, creativity the best. <laughs> and if that means no cameras, then damn it, no cameras. Yeah, no, it, it is fascinating, and people really seem to like it, and. And, you know, I mean, having the cameras there, you do, you do kind of, you know, start to ignore them at some yeah. point. Uh, so let's actually talk about The Cave. That's what we're here for. Uh, game is out on Xbox Live Arcade this week and all other platforms. And it is fantastic. Check out the IGN review. Um, I don't know if you have. or uh, Do you read reviews or do you care? Um, you know, anybody that says they don't read reviews is lying. lying. Yeah. So, yes, I do, <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do. I do read all the reviews, yes. Well, uh it is it is a generally generally positive reception to it. I don't know if you have any bones to pick with me while you're here. Feel free otherwise. Um, you know, not not specifically. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean I generally don't have bones to pick with reviewers because as long as they're honestly reviewing the game, yeah. I, I'm totally okay with that. I mean, every game has flaws in it and 
you know, if, if, if something bugs somebody, you know, yes, call it out. I mean, the only, the only reviews that, that I do have an issue with are if the reviewer just seems to be getting very personal about their hatred for something. And I mean, there was one review of the cave. I'm not going to say who, but I just kind of read this whole review and I'm just like, wow, did I, did I like run over your dog or something? Wow. Because I mean, the, just the hatred for it was just amazing. And, you, and so things like that bother me because obviously there's some other anger issues going on that right. really have nothing to do with well, the that's, game. You know, and that's, uh, I can understand where that's frustrating for you because that's a that's a reviewer making a review about them instead of about more about the, the game. game. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I have I have very few bones to pick with reviewers as long as they're just being honest about you know about how what they're doing and what their feelings are. So um, speaking of of being honest, uh oh, <laughs> it's it's interesting that the cave is very much an adventure game, but it's sort of. It's not like you're hiding anything, but it's kind of it's disguised on its surface as a as a side-scrolling platform game. So uh, why the deception, Ron? Well, I, you know, I don't think it's a deception at all. I'm joking, of course. Yeah, I mean, I I don't. Uh, I mean, this was I mean probably a little naive, you know, on on you know my part was I was I was actually a little bit surprised when we released the trailer for the game back in May and mm-hmm. people started calling it a platformer. And in retrospect, I go, yeah, that's, yeah, I totally see that just because that was a visuals. Because I had never thought about it like that. I always thought about it as an adventure game with adventure game puzzles. Yeah, you're writing puzzles and you're yeah. not writing jump now. Right. And, and you know, the jumping and stuff was, was just a way to kind of make movement fun, you know, throughout through the world. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't kind of a bait and switch, you know, with the platformer <laughs> adventure game stuff. Because um, I had always just really thought about it as an adventure game. So that on on kind of a related note, I mean, do you, did you create it? I mean, you say that you did it to make the navigation of the world fun, but do you think can can you not really get away with uh, with making an an actual point and click adventure now? Do you do you did you sort of in order to make it palatable to the console unwashed masses like myself? Uh, do you do you have to sort of come up with a different way to to frame it than? than actual point and click with a with a cursor i don't think you have to it was just something i wanted to play with yeah i was just i was just curious about uh you know uh different just different ways to interact with the game and you know some things that i had observed you know as i had went back and played those old point and click adventure games you know i played a lot of maniac mansion because i gave that talk at gdc the Mm -hmm. you know retrospective so i played a lot of maniac mansion I played a bunch of, you know, Monkey Island and, uh, you know, just, you know, some of the things that kind of caught me going back and playing those games because I hadn't played those games in quite a while. And, and it just, you know, it just made me curious to, to think about, well, you know, movement could actually be a lot more fun than it was in those games. And, yeah. and that was just something I really wanted to explore. But I think a standard point and click game is still, you know, a very viable way to do it today. Is, uh... This is not really a spoiler for anybody that's just starting to play the cave, but is the hermit on the desert island supposed to be Herman Toothrot? <laughs> it's not supposed to be Herman Toothrot, <laughs> but you know there there's definitely a lot of I mean, a, lot, that, a lot of fun nods to yes. Monkey Island and Maniac Mansion. I'm, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in that world that comes from Maniac Mansion that I I mean I've yet to hear people 
say that they've found it yet so i don't you know i don't want to say anything uh, can, can you give me one maybe because of course you know the obvious ones you know the the hermit jumped out right away like oh mm-hmm. and that's totally herman Duthrod. and then of course the obvious one right in the beginning of the game is the new grog the machine. Grog machine right um i was hoping that i might have to uh carry a bunch of cans with me as they melted and used them to <laughs> to unlock a jail cell but it didn't that's, that's didn't what, pan what, out that's yeah, one of my favorite puzzles in monkey <laughs> island actually is that one um, but g- give me what, what's maybe one little one little maniac mansion or Monkey Island Easter egg that uh, that we don't know about yet in the cave. Um, you know the the infamous Chuck the plant. Makes I was wondering about that because then uh, there was another Chuck uh, with one of the other characters there's, as there's well. Chuck the flame. Yes, that was one, in, of the, the night. one of the burning flames in the night thing. And then and then Chuck the plant, you know, right out of the library of Maniac Mansion. <laughs> he appears in he appears in the cave. He's there still getting work, you know? Yeah, still quite a career for himself. He does. He has his own Wikipedia page. Can you believe <laughs> yeah, that? There's a Chuck the Plant Wikipedia page. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, there are many humans that don't get their own Wikipedia page. <laughs> and then now this plant has their own Wikipedia page. Um, are there any... So the, the big hook, obviously, of the cave is seven characters, all with their own little backstories that are told through the sort of comic book panel uh, style graphics. Are there any characters that that you designed that didn't make the cut? Well, you know, when we started, you know, I had this whiteboard in my office, and I just wrote every single character I could think of, and you know, I probably had about thirty wow. characters on this whiteboard, and. You know, lots of stuff. I mean, there was a clown. There was a you know, movie starlet from the you know nineteen forties. Well, the clown just... kind of made his way into the game. He did. He, but he's yeah, kind of in a way. No, I don't want to spoil no spoilers, it. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of did. Um, you should have you beeped his nose. I did not. I'm gonna have to go back now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, <laughs> and yeah, so I had this list of like these you know thirty or so characters, and then you know when the other um, designers came on, you know JP uh, was one of them, and we were we went through that list and we just started crossing them off. It's like okay, well this isn't that interesting, or you know what this person's you know special skill is really close to this person's skill. We really mm-hmm. probably can't design puzzles that are unique enough, so we'd cross one of them off right. the list. And that's when we arrived at the seven. And I always knew I wanted to do seven just because of Maniac Mansion. So, you know, we had that number kind of fixed. Right. I also knew I wanted to do an equal number of male and female characters, which is really where the twins come in, right? Because <laughs> little, little, cheat, yes. little boy, little girl. Um, so they were never in any danger of ever being cut from the game. <laughs> they were safe. Simply, simply because they solved the whole equal male female problem with seven characters. So yeah, they were they had their, job, they had jobs. Yeah, their roster spot was secure. Yep, it, was, it was. It was. Um, yeah. So we just we went through that list and pared them down, and then there was there was a character of the mobster, and he made hmm. it actually quite far into the game. We had designed you know all of his uh, areas and. We'd actually white box them all up and played through them, and he just he just wasn't working. You know, his story mm. just wasn't clicking, and so he was. We scrapped him and replaced him with the monk. What, what's a mobster's special power? Well, see, that's part of the problem, right? I mean, his special power was that he just he was a big guy and he had he had a lot of strength, so he could, you know, push things and move things the other characters couldn't. Okay. And, and it just it, that's just that's just not that interesting, you know. So so we're he, he didn't he didn't work. So we're not going to see him as uh, as DLC as as an extra character to download. No, and that, there are no plans for DLC. So are you? Uh, do you do you like DLC? Do you hate it? What's where where do you stand on it? Both for your games and for other games. I I don't like DLC. 
Um, but saying said that, there, I think there is a certain type of game where DLC is really good. Yeah. If you're doing a game where it really does make sense to have another map, you know, to be able sure. to PvP on or, you know, anything like that, I think DLC makes really good sense in those cases. But having DLC for story-based games, it's like, well... That's just odd. I mean, you're telling a story. I mean, yeah, we could do two new characters, but, you know, for for me, I just, I think about it as one thing. Yeah. And a lot of times DLC is, uh, it's kind of more of a marketing thing than it is a creative development thing. It's true. So, yeah, I, I, I tend to, I tend to shy away from it unless the game really, really is the type of game that DLC makes sense. Uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Yeah. On a roll. Uh, how many puzzles don't make the cut? for for your games typically i mean is, are there you know either they don't work or you just don't think they're fun i mean what how much how many puzzles end up on the cutting room floor yeah i don't know if i could you know give you a count but quite a quite a quite few. a few yeah quite a few because you know you tend or at least me when i'm designing adventure games i tend to over design so i will design very elaborate long puzzle chains to solve things and then as we go we just start cutting them out it's like okay it's it's too long it's taking too long Mm -hmm. to get you know to this little payoff of this puzzle so we're going to just kind of remove these two steps and a lot of that comes from that very first uh you know white box playthrough of the game where it's just very quickly been put together and then we just run around the world and and um and kind of see what it's feeling like. And then we just kind of make a lot of cuts with that stuff. Are, are you big on focus testing? Because obviously, you know, at the at, in the beginning of your career, that didn't, I don't think that really existed so much back then. Well, there's, you know, I, I draw, I draw the distinction between focus testing and play testing. Focus testing, I think is absolutely worthless. Yeah. And that's where you bring a bunch of people in and you ask them what kind of game they would like to play. Yeah. A bunch of idiot teenagers. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that, that, that is completely worthless. Cause your games, let's be honest, your games would probably focus test really poorly. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> I don't mean in an insulting way, but I mean like, because they require well, I th- a brain. You know, I think anything that is innovative and new and different will focus test poorly because, you know, people don't know necessarily that they want something really new until they actually see it. And so, yeah. so that's why I think of focus testing and play testing is two different things. So focus testing, I think, is, is horrible. And I think it, it steers people down wrong paths more than does anything else. Mm-hmm. Play testing is absolutely required. And that's where you you bring a game. It doesn't, doesn't have to be finished, but you get a game to kind of a playable state. Yeah. And then you bring people in and you watch them play. Because especially with you know a complicated game like an adventure game, there is just no way that you can know how people are going to solve puzzles until you actually watch them do it. And on the cave, we you know we spent the last six months of the project we had play tests where we brought people in for three days a week and we just every day we just watched them play the game and you learn a whole lot about people's thought processes and puzzles that we thought were just painfully obvious. They were just completely stumped on. So, you know, we'd change the puzzle a little bit, maybe, you know, move something a little bit closer to something else just so, you know, a light bulb would go off in their head. So that, that play test process is just invaluable. Yeah. I know for me, that's, I almost always have one or two or three of those moments in your games where 
I it's not that I'm uh, missing something. It's that uh, or that I'm stumped necessarily. It's that I just miss something. Like in for instance, uh, it, the the hillbilly, the carnival, the magician. Mm-hmm. I thought that his trick made it go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. When in fact, it was oh okay, I can just. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, that's like the worst radio ever because I'm trying to avoid spoilers. <laughs> People are like, what are you even talking about? I don't know. But but um, so do you run into things like that a lot where it's it's almost a – it's not a puzzle. There's not a, a puzzle thing you end up wanting to tweak, but a, but sort of a, uh, almost a usability yeah, type scenario. Yeah, I mean there's, there's a lot of that stuff, you know, where it's, it's, it's the presentation of the yeah. puzzle or the presentation of an object that – you know, you want to just call it out, you know, a little, you know, a little bit more yeah. uh, with those things. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's, there was a lot of that in the cave. There's a lot of that in Monkey Island, you know, and we watched people play the game. We would just kind of realize that this, you know, we need, we need to be a little more obvious about something or even less obvious. I mean, there were definitely times where, you know, we thought we had designed a really clever, hard puzzle, and then playtesters were just walking <laughs> their way through it. And it's like, okay, you know what? Let's actually move this thing, or let's let's change the name of this thing. And you know, that alone just would would make it a a, a good puzzle again, rather than a gimme. How much of how are there pieces of Monkey Island one or two uh, sections of it that never made it in the game? Are there are there cutting room floor scenes and puzzles for those games? You know, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was designed for the game that was just on paper. Could there be a director's cut of Monkey Island? In no, the- there really couldn't. And I, and I don't know that there really can be director's cuts of games in a way because, at least for me, the stuff is cut so early Yeah. that, you know, it's not like a movie where you've already filmed the scenes and mm-hmm. maybe you've already done all the audio and, you know, special effects for them. So, you know, doing a director's cut of things that were cut out of the cave, it would just, it would look really weird because you'd suddenly enter a world that was nothing but gray geometric <laughs> wireframe and wireframe stuff. <laughs> and it would just, it would kind of make no sense uh, to do that stuff. So, yeah. What, what is, what's your favorite puzzle in the cave? You've got to have one where you're like, ah, oh, that I do. That was fun. I do have a, I do have a favorite puzzle in the cave, but I don't want to spoil it. Well, we can maybe at least give. It's, it's in the monk's temple. Okay, I have not yet done the monk. Okay, it's it's, it's in it's in the monk's it's in the monk's temple. Yeah. Okay, and what what item does it involve so people know when they get there that I'm playing I'm playing Ron Gilbert's Numero Uno puzzle right now. Uh, it involves um, it involves uh, obtaining peace and serenity. Okay, now we know. That is the part of the game we need to cherish the most. Right. And when, when I we say best there. puzzle, it's not it's not necessarily that it's the most brilliant no, genius no, just, yeah. puzzle. I just I just like that puzzle. Yeah, which so. one that you yeah, clicked with you. You're yeah, like, This just, is this yeah. is fun. This is a good right. this is a good spot. I think people are gonna enjoy this. Right? I mean, yeah. Um take me through writing a puzzle. I mean I because playing an adventure game, I think we take it supremely for granted how what goes into them. I mean you have to I, I, uh, the first three paragraphs of my cave review for IGN are quite frankly, they're a spoiler. It's I'm, I'm using the time travelers, uh, oil puzzle as, as an example of how fun and, uh, thought provoking and kind of goofy the game is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm typing the whole thing out trying to, and, and I really, and 
and so I you know, kind of look at that and go, wow, a lot goes into, like, this isn't even close to what, what it takes to create this. I'm just typing out how it goes right now. So how, how does a puzzle take me through something from real quick, start to finish, you know, from the idea to how you think about creating it and making it solvable and what the pieces are? Yeah, now I can only speak for myself. Right. I don't know how other people design adventure game puzzles. So, I mean, I can only speak for how I do it. But usually, you know, what I do is, uh, you know, to me, adventure games are primarily about a narrative. But to me, it's the puzzles that move the narrative forward. Mm -hmm. So I will often have a narrative and I kind of know these major beats to the narrative and I will know... I will know a puzzle that I want solved that moves the narrative forward. I have no idea what the pieces of the puzzle are. I have no idea how you actually solve the puzzle, but I know kind of what the solution to the puzzle is. Then um, I always design adventure games backwards because now, now that I have the solution to the puzzle, now what, what has to happen is I have to build all of the, all of the things up, that lead up to that solution. Yeah. And, and I'll kind of do that in this weird process where I'll, I'll come up with something and then I'll kind of come up with another puzzle that leads up to that. And then another puzzle that leads up to that. So it's all, it's all done in this very backwards fashion. Hmm. Then when I get to what I think is the beginning of the puzzle, then, you know, I'll go back and I'll look at that whole chain. And maybe there were five steps, you know, that you had to do from the very beginning of the puzzle to the ultimate solution of the yeah. puzzle. And then look, at okay, is that too many or is that not enough? And if it's not enough, then I'll go in and I'll just interject little sub-puzzles in the <laughs> middle of those chains. If it's too many, I'll just remove one of the puzzles and, and remove a step from the puzzle. So that's kind of my process in designing adventure game puzzles. Is is there, because that's interesting, because I could see where, you know, maybe some people might think of, oh, here's a ham radio. What kind of cool puzzle could I make with this and go mm-hmm. the opposite way? So you, you're kind of coming at it from, from the top, at the, the top down at the right. end. It's yes. like, it's, it's almost like a slide. Right. You're, <laughs> you're, yeah, no, I, I always do because I always want to know where I'm going. Yeah. I want to know ultimately what is it that I'm trying to do. Then, then just start building the steps up to achieve that. And when, when I get to the point that is starting to feel right, then I just stop. Hmm. Then I don't have to do any more steps. Is there a, is there a quick example from the, either the cave or if you don't want to go spoilers, maybe one, one that stands out from one of the two monkey islands that, that, that of a, of a, of a puzzle that you started with and then how you work back through it. Oh, God. I'm just fascinated with by by your process. Yeah, I so, mean, you, it kind of puts me on the spot because I'm. I mean, I have to spend a little bit of time thinking. Uh, we can you know, thinking about those, you know, those chains and fair how I unwound, you know, those things. So, how about uh, maybe we we talked a minute ago about about the uh, the grog, the melting grog mug mm-hmm. puzzle. Mm-hmm. Is that does that one jump out as was? Did that start as? So that starts as I need to get. Uh, well, I mean, at a, the guy out of jail. Well, no, it, it starts before that. Before it, that, it, it's it starts that Guybrush needs to get a crew for a ship. Right, right. So that's that's really where something like that starts. So that's really that's really macro at that point. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, so so you kind of start with that. Then it's like, okay, well, who who could be on his crew? And then you know, it's like, okay, well. 
you know, Otis is in jail, you know, that's a good place to put him. And yeah. now, okay, now how do we get him out of jail? So, so, so in a way it's like, we're almost, we're almost acting like we are adventure game players, right? Huh. Because we, we create a problem and then rather than having to find the solution, we're creating the solution to the problem. So now how do we, <laughs> how do we get him out of jail? When we, you know, we play around with a lot of different things about that. Some work, some don't, you know, and then it's like, okay, well, the, you know, the, the grog mugs, you know, seem to be a good way to do, you know, to do that. So it's interesting. The thing that, that I, the, the, the thing that's most memorable to me is the melting grog mugs. That's the minute detail that comes in at the end. Yes, that's true in a way. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Does, that doesn't annoy you, does it? That it's like that. That's that, that little parts is what I remember, and not sort of the no, big not, overarching. No, not at all. Not at all. You know, the, it's just it's just that organic process of yeah. designing those puzzles. I mean, sometimes you design you know super interesting ones, and sometimes they're not. But what's um what's an average day like for you? Again, and this is another question I'm just always fascinated to ask mm-hmm. developers with because you know you you you're writing the cave, you're designing the cave. What's uh for instance, uh, all right, I guess the game's done now, but uh, when the game is, I don't know, in an alpha state, what's mm-hmm. what's your average? Where things are there and they sort of work, but you you still have some decisions to make. What's what happens when you get to work and 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 take me through your day? Uh, the day is you know early on in the process. It's just you know it's a lot of designing. You know, um, you know, JP was the lead designer of the project, so he and I spent a lot of time, you know, together. And... Who, JP, by the way, who uh, was supposed to be here but had a root canal. Yeah, he, so yeah, he was supposed to be joining us, but a root canal is is preferable to doing this podcast. Apparently, it is. Developers yeah. take note. I tried to schedule a last minute root canal, <laughs> but I I couldn't I couldn't find a dentist willing, so I guess I'm here. <laughs> but yeah, so so you meet it, you meet with JP. Yeah, I meet with JP. You know, and uh, you know, Dave Gardner was the other guy he was actually an animator on the project but you know he you know had a had a really interesting mind for puzzle design so he did a lot mm-hmm. of design with us as well well he's a great animator because i love the the almost it's almost sort of puppet-like animation yeah, the, the animation I really I mean, really the, like yeah, it. the animators at double fine just did an amazing job and i think it was particularly challenging for them because the characters don't talk yeah. So every bit of personality of those characters had to come from the animation of those yeah, the characters. Floppy hillbilly limbs and yeah, everybody's got their own little subtle yeah. subtle thing. Yeah. So uh meetings. Right. So we would you know, we would meet for two or three hours a day, you know, in a back room and we would just design puzzles. And it would take us about a week kind of to design, you know, an area like hmm. the like the you know, the hillbillies carnival. Yeah. Uh, we'd schedule about a week to be able to just design that and whiteboard it. And we just draw pictures on whiteboards and then we, you know, take pictures of them with our, you know, camera phones at the end. And, and then we go through and then we'd write, we'd kind of write up basically a walkthrough okay. of, of, of the area. We'd write that up and then, uh, we would do the gray box versions of those and then play through them. And so there's just, you know, there's just a lot of design work, a lot of, you know, paper writing and just a lot of playing. There's a lot of playing the game that goes on. So, you know, playing your games and adventure games in general um, and what I've been, you know, I've had folks tweeting me about the cave like, oh, I'm stuck on this part. And and you actually tweeted about this is, uh, you know, how how you're you're very annoyed by 
uh, walkthroughs and cheat because the, the whole point of the adventure game is to savor it. You, the, I think the analogy you mentioned you, you used was it's it's a meal, not a uh, a drive through. Right. Yeah. Lunch it's it's a meal to be savored. Yes. Not fast food to so, just be gulped down. Does that happen? Does that does it go that way in the design process too, where you might you might just be kind of hung up and need to need to just take a break and and then when you come back a few hours later or the next day we're like all right carnival area uh the guess the weight puzzle i've got it right no absolutely i mean that that completely happens where you know we would we would be sitting in that back room and we would just stare at that whiteboard and it would just it would be silence for 10 minutes and then somebody would go oh well what if what if there was what if there was a chicken no that's a bad idea and then we we just stare at the whiteboard, and it's like, well, what if there was a no, no, that's not going to work. And then and we and really would we would call the meeting at some point. We go, you know what, we're wasting our time. Let's just let's just put this aside, and we'll get back tomorrow. And then maybe something will hit us, and yeah. that will make sense. And it often did. You know, the next day, your subconscious mind is just wonderful at working out problems, and you know whether it's solving the adventure game or designing the adventure game right. it's just it's wonderful for that so are you a guy uh i don't know if it sounds like are you not a big design document guy it's a, or does it, is it more of an outline that you start with yeah i think design documents are can be a big waste of time and i think they should be as short as possible i think they should be almost bullet points right? like a resume it's like one page or less yeah it's like sh- show show me the high points of what's going on show me the major things that i need to do but you know when i see design documents people have written that are these stacks of 300 pages i i really question that because to me to me design it's it's about feeling your way through the game and the only way you can do that is is really by playing it you know yeah. i mean i could design an adventure game completely on paper and I'm going to be wrong about half of the puzzles that I designed in it. And it's not really until you can start to yourself sit down and start to play with them that you really kind of are starting to sense what's working and not working in them. So, you know, I like to keep design documents very, very minimal uh, for that reason. I think you and Ken Levine would, would hit it off well based on how it, that seems, he, that's he, how he a operates similar, as well. philosophy. Yeah. Um, he would be one of those people that I. He, we'll put him. We'll add him on the he list. Should, yeah, I was going to come just back dub, at the just end. Dub, dub his, <laughs> dub his name into that. I, you know, the thing is that I mean, I really feel bad because I am so bad with people's names. I mean, I really am just horrible with people's names, and so I, 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 I really feel bad about that. But no, I mean, I, I do have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, it's. Uh... Well, it's and we're finally going to get to play the the fruits of his five year well, labor. Why don't you just soon. read off a list of like twenty game designers, and I'll just go, yep, yep, no, yep, no, cool. no. Uh, yep. Well, I, I can't wait to hear work. the no ones. No, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Will Wright, <laughs> Cliff Lazinski, Jason Jones. Yes, I see yes, you're yes. a lot better at this. Than I, am. I just uh, Ron Gilbert. No, no. <laughs> uh, just a couple more for you. So. Um, not sure if you either even know or can even comment, but uh, so the big big thing in the news this week, besides the release of the cave, available now on pretty much any platform you want for the equivalent of fifteen dollars in in uh, whatever that console's currency is. <laughs> don't know why they do that. I, do you know why they do that? I I don't. It's uh, the and the interesting thing is Microsoft doesn't even do it across all of their services. It's just an Xbox thing. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, I guess there's some sort of 
accountant math that says, well, if we make people buy blocks of fake points, we end up making more money because they'll be, you know, people complain the, to me the all the time. Yeah, they'll the be things. left with like 100 points, which is like the equivalent of a dollar twenty-five, and it can't buy you anything. So yeah. then if you want something, uh, if you want to download the cave, for instance, well, now I have to download $20 worth of a $20 block of points in order to get my 15 right. for the and cave. That could be. That could be. So I'm sure there's some – it's all math. And yeah. I went to journalism school so that I wouldn't have to do math. <laughs> yeah, see, I like when I, you know, when I buy stuff on the Apple App Store, it's – 99 cents yeah it's not seven apple points it's 99 <laughs> don't cents. give them any ideas ron <laughs> yeah so anyway um sorry to side no track. no it's uh it so it was it was reported in the lead up to the the the, the thq fallout that's happened this week the auction all of their unfortunately thq is officially or not quite officially no more their their brands and properties and studios have uh now been been plucked up by other folks. It was reported uh, that the Double Fine sought to to reacquire uh, IPs published by THQ, stacking Costume Quest. Is there uh, is there any any news on that front? Are you are because uh, we didn't hear. You know, we we got the news about okay, this studio went to this place. Uh, we met, we talked about South Park, the Stick of Truth earlier. That Ubisoft has acquired the publishing rights to that. Um, has has Double Fine gotten? Have you guys gotten your hands on your own stuff again? Did did anything come of that? Well, Double Fine has always owned the IP. Okay, so, so they they've always owned the IP to stacking Good. the Costume Quest. So I mean the the and I'm not really pervy to all the sure. You know, I'm not either. That's why I'm on. asking. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're you're asking the wrong person because yeah. I I don't really know any of that stuff. So I I think what they were trying to do is get just get the the publishing rights back. Right, right. I mean, they expire at some point. So okay, so but, I, but I'm not really. So that's good. So Double Fine owns those. So if you if Double Fine wanted to make uh, stacking two, they could do it. It's more of if 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 you guys wanted to release stacking on iOS, that's what that's what's be legally hung up. I you know, all I, the... I don't know the minutia of that stuff, so I would I would I had to ask while you were here. I would be amiss in commenting on any of that. Fair stuff, enough. So. Um. So you mentioned, real comment. I'm just about done. Well, fine. I'm sure you're starving and want to go get lunch and get away from me. But um, you know, you mentioned how you 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 started you started Humongous and uh, you wanted to have your own company and make the decisions and and be run run a company. And now you're back at Double Fine, um, seemingly away from all that now. Just back to making games. Have you? Is that sort of where you've ultimately found that you're happiest? Do you not want to do the running your own company thing anymore? Yeah, running a company is a lot of hard work. And when I, you know, first started Humongous Entertainment, probably you know for the first three years or so, you know, I was designing and I was programming and I was just completely involved, you know, in in every aspect of those games. And then as the company got bigger and bigger and bigger. I just stopped being involved in that stuff and yeah. I, and I really missed it. You know, I don't, um, I don't enjoy running a company. I enjoy making games. Right. So that, that's really, that's really what, what I like. And it seems like that's what happened with Peter Molyneux too. He, you know, Microsoft purchased Lionhead some years mm -hmm. back and Peter was making fable. He's another one of those guys that I should add him know. to the list. Yeah, add him to the list. Um, that, uh, yeah. And it, it got to the point where, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know why Peter Molyneux left Microsoft and never really got any sort of public explanation, but it would seem to me, given that he immediately started uh, 22 Cans, his, his independent developer, mm-hmm. and is now releasing little iOS games, it seems like that, that exact same thing. So is that almost like a part of the natural career arc for a game creator where does your curiosity take you to, well, let me, all right, I want to be the man and start my own company and then... Seems like uh, more often than not, a lot of you uh, brilliant creators just come back to, well, no, all that stuff sucks. I just want to get back to yeah, that to could making be. Games. I mean, there are people who really enjoy running companies, and they do a really good job of it. And you know, maybe they had started out in design, but now they, you know, now they do that, and and I think that's great. But you know, at least for me, it's you know, running a company is a lot of work. I mean, that's a full time job yeah. of just and and it's and it's not like the fun wheelings and dealings. It's like, you know, you're dealing with HR issues and you're dealing with budgets rent on the building and mm-hmm. you're dealing with all of this stuff and it's just it's just not that fun at some level. And, you know, for me it's I just I like designing games. I like creating things. So when you joined Double Fine, ostensibly to work on the cave, uh, in hindsight we we now know it's uh it was sort of stated at the time that you were kind of, I don't know, it almost was, I don't know if this is actually true, but it was almost positioned like, well, it may not be permanent. Ron's just kind of here working on his game. Mm-hmm. So can is it safe to say, are you are you uh, going to stay at Double Fine for the foreseeable future? Um, you know, for the foreseeable future, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing next. Um, I suppose I could get fired. I mean, that's... <laughs> That's certainly a possibility. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know what I'm doing next. I don't know what my next project is. Uh, you know, the cave, uh, you know, is kind of finished now. Or, so I'm going to go take some time off. Yeah. Probably take a month, well month off and just, you know, do some stuff and, you know, hopefully, you know, be hit with a really cool idea. But, I, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing next. I mean, you – have you? Is, I don't know, is it fair to say you're – other than Monkey Island, which is – I mean – it, it thrills me to no end as a Monkey Island fan that it has become clear to me just in the hour we've been talking that it really is near and dear to your heart. And I, I that like warms me inside as a Monkey Island fan that you still care so much about it. But by and large, it seems like you're not much of a sequel guy. Is that fair to say for, of your own games? Yeah, I, I really don't. I really don't like to do sequels because, you know, I feel like I've said what I wanted to say about, yeah. about the story, you know, on these things. And if I do sequels, you know, it's something I would come back to many years down the road you know maybe you know two or three or four years from now maybe something will hit me again about doing another cave game it would be so easy to just turn around and think up seven new characters and then just do the cave two you know that comes out next year that would be easy to do but it's not it's not creatively satisfying for me to do that and but but sometimes ideas get in my head and then they just kind of start eating away and then then maybe doing you know another version of the cave once i really have something new to say yeah. about it about it all well, that's uh, that's the that's the approach that some game makers i guess are backed into a corner and can't think that way cuz the game is some sort of big blockbuster thing that the company yeah, the publisher I mean, counts on for its bottom line. You're in a great position. Well, you I mean you get like a franchise, right? Yeah. And you just it's like, well, we need to do another Call of Duty because we've based the entire, you know, P&L of the company on these Call of Duty games coming out. It's, you know, you really don't have a choice 
um, to doing that. And I've, you know, we've always looked at games as a, as a very creative and, you know, dare I say artistic medium and just churning through franchises just doesn't, just doesn't seem like that to me. Well, I know, uh, you know, you've, you've said you're, you're a PC gamer through and through, but, um, as a fan of yours and someone who is, whose main job is to cover Xbox things, it's, uh, it's been really great being able to play your last couple of games on Xbox, starting with Death, Death Bank was your first, I, really the was, first yeah. Ron Gilbert console game, yeah, right? Yeah, it really was, yeah. And then uh, having Monkey Island 1 and 2 uh, special editioned up by LucasArts, and now and now the cave. So it's, I love being able to get uh, Xbox 360 achievements to, <laughs> in, in, in Ron Gilbert games. It's something I was never able to uh, to do before. So I know... So it you know it it really means a lot of our listeners a lot of Xbox fans are they're new Ron Gilbert fans because they're they're coming at your games for the first time so uh, I trust they you've made a lot of a lot of new Xbox fans today well that's that's the hope yeah anyway and that's the hope and and hopefully you know those things like the cave are the first experience that someone has had with an adventure game you know and and hopefully they really enjoy that experience and then they will go seek other adventure games out yeah so if uh if you have tried out the and i, I want to remind everybody particularly on xbox live arcade if you're curious about the cave you're like well i don't know if i want to drop 15 bucks every single xbox live arcade game you can download a free trial edition and check out the the first little part of the game so give it yeah. a try See how you like it, and if you like it, go back, tr- check out Death Spank. Again, same situation. Download the free trial version, and for the love of God, go download the both Monkey Island 1 and 2 special editions. I know none of that goes into your pocket, unfortunately. Well, that's... No, well none of any of this stuff goes into my pocket. So. <laughs> but um, it, is, it is great to have you on the Xbox platform, Ron, and uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And I, I really appreciate you coming down. Yeah, well, thank you for so, having me. The Cave is, again, it's available now on Xbox Live Arcade. Uh, 1,200 Microsoft points equating to 15 U.S. dollars. Uh, check it out now on Xbox Live Arcade. Thank you very much, Ron. Yeah, thank you. Unlock lock. Can you take on the challenge? Yeah! All right. Oh. Good to chat with Ron. Hope you guys Ron enjoyed that interview. Gilbert. That brings us to near the end of the show, our my favorite part, the unlock block. Oh yeah. Let's do this. Or our listeners test the knowledge of you two gentlemen, you two fine fellows. Our question <laughs> we'll this week you. comes to us uh I'm gonna I'm not quite sure how Andy's last name is here. So McCann. Is it McCann or or Matchin? Matchin. Could be I think I, it's McCann. I, I think McCann's <laughs> yeah. probably safe, but he's from, he's from Kensington, Maryland. And he has a Connect-based question, which I know you guys are thrilled about already. I I don't. If it's Connect, I don't know the Here, answer. No, no. See, here's Spoilers. the thing. This is a total softball. You guys are going to get this because you. I've <laughs> no, we're not. I've held your feet to the fire the last few shows. I just want. I wanted you guys. To, this is a confidence builder. This okay. is a. This is a what we call in baseball. This is a slump buster. Right here. I'm not going to get this one. Okay. So here goes. <laughs> don't bust your slump, yeah. Dustin. Which of the following Connect games supports the greatest number of simultaneous players in front of one Connect? Hmm. Is it Dance Central 3? No. Hole in two. the Wall? Double Fine Happy Action Theater? Or Wrecketeer? So Wrecketeer, I'm almost certain, has no multiplayer at all. I reviewed that game. I don't remember multiplayer. <laughs> if it had multiplayer, like, whoops. That's the one where it throws and you spread your arms yeah, to yeah, like, yeah. make it fly. Yeah, yeah. it's stupid. Um, well, actually, not. Just I don't like Connect stuff. 
<laughs> I'm leaning toward Double Fine Happy Action Theater because that whole game was just nonsense. And I feel like it would support, like, uh, sure, there are 20 people. Whatever. We got it. Be- before I guess, what's Hole in the Wall? It's, it's, it's based a game on a, show. Yeah, it's based on a TV game show. And you're giving me a, st- a blank, just a like, blank stare. Hole, was... no, a hole in the wall, if it's a game show, that could be, like, up to four people. But you're talking in front of a Kinect. Simultaneous in front of one Kinect. All right, I'll say double fine. They seem like they would come, because it was designed for kids, lots of kids. I'm going to go with that. And you interview, and <laughs> you was... had Ron Gilbert on the show, so I, I feel okay. You just double fine theme? Yeah. 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 You're wise to do so. All right. Yes. Indeed. Yes. You, ha, have a little faith. There's your slump buster, guys. Yeah. It was a, <laughs> up to up to six people could actually be wrecked. Because I just Connect, copied off Mitch. Because <laughs> Connect isn't actually really doing anything. It's just it's like this happy action theater is sort of a sandbox for you to yeah. dick around with, mm-hmm. and so it will recognize the people in the back and put like little you know drops of lava on your head or you oh. know the various mini games. So yeah, six people. In front of one Connect for okay. Double Fine Happy Action Theater. And its sequel, Connect Party, which I think might still be free on the dashboard. I, uh, I looked I, recently. I, I know. I believe that expired that did, on the 8th. Did it? Okay. Because I looked. Maybe I looked before the 8th and it was still free. Anyway. Well, thanks, um, Andy. Yes. Yeah, so, good job, Andy. Uh, you have won yourself a copy of Guitar Hero Van Halen. Yes. Courtesy of my buddy Dan Amrick, oneofswords.com, and his employers at Activision. So I hope you enjoy your new Van Halen-based entertainment system. And if you would like a chance to win a copy of Guitar Hero Van Halen, send your Xbox-related trivia question where, Mitch? Unlocked at IGN.com. We need four multiple-choice answers. Note the correct one. And please include your full name and full shipping-slash-mailing address, please. FYI, I think I have—let's uh, test my memory today. Okay. Facebook.com slash groups slash podcasts unlocked. I, I believe that's the URL for our Facebook group. Well, I actually joined the Facebook group. You did. Speaking I saw that. of, before we, you know—sorry, Mitch, I'll let no, you No, go ahead. I mean, interrupt you. I actually did the challenge of playing an old game. I played—what uh, <clears throat> was the one Condemned. we were talking about? Condemned. You played I that played game you one. forgot about already. Yeah. Yeah. How was it? Does it hold up? No. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> the graphics are very dated. Right. Uh, like, I've been playing other scary games lately, and to hop into this one, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I can see everybody. Well, at least you <laughs> gave it a shot. Yeah. yeah. I played it for I, about an hour and a half. And I assure yeah. you that in 2005, Condemned was awesome and I played it, super though. freaky. Mm-hmm. We uh, in the Facebook group we had last week's meta achievement. People were talking about their wacky gamer tag histories. Yes, some weird gamer tags, man. <laughs> yes, that is true. I don't have any meta achievement on deck this week. Well, we got to get out of here actually because we have another meeting we have to get to. Email um, us. Uh, play play uh, a Ron Gilbert or Telltale game. There you go. Monkey Island Two. Special awesome. even if just download the trial Wait, version. Telltale. Yeah. Double fine. What? Ron Gilbert. Telltale. Yeah, Ron Gilbert stuff. Because Monkey Island was LucasArts. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. We got to go. Yeah. Uh, so Mitch already plugged our Facebook group. Excellent job, Mitch. Uh, IGN.com. That's your homepage. Slash Xbox-360. That's our homepage. Come visit it. And check out our Xbox Live app, uh, which I'm told, by the way, I read on the internets, that when we do live streams, mm-hmm. like... Uh, the one we had for Crisis, Crisis 3 this 3. week. We'll be live streaming. Uh, we're playing. We're trying to line one up for Gears of War Judgment coming up pretty oh, soon. Yeah. So uh, apparently our our Xbox Live app, that's where you get the best streaming quality for our live streams. So. It's awesome watching them on a TV. Yeah, check it out. 
pin and pin it to your pins so that you don't have to dig through 17 layers yeah. of dashboard to get to it every time. Follow us on Twitter at Destin Legary, D E S T I N L E G A R I E, at Mitchie D. Yeah. And you can find me at DMC underscore Ryan. And I want to thank everybody for listening. As always, most of you get the show on iTunes where you subscribe for free. We're also on the Zoom Marketplace or IGN.com. For Destin Legary and Mitch Dyer, I'm Ryan McCaffrey, and this was Podcast Unlocked, episode 83. We'll be back next week. Yay. See you. Bye. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? <laughs> Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy, or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.